sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. This morning I want to um, share a message with you entitled Lost and Found. And um, I don't know how many of you know, but we actually have a lost and found box in this church. Does anybody even know that? Oh, quite a few of you. Okay, I'm impressed. So it exists and it, it kind of lives under the stairs there. Dorian, can you, can you bring that box to me quickly, please? Let's have a look. I've, um, I've, been, I've been into this box a couple of times, um, once to actually look for something and then the other couple of times for uh, just amusement because it's, it's a pretty funny box. Um, so let's, uh, let's have a look at, at what's in there. Thanks, Dorian. Let's open it up. Okay, so let's have a look at what we've got here. So a pair of sunglasses, Bondi blues, you're liking, you're liking. Okay. Notebooks. Bible and notebook, full of your notes. Hey, check out this box, it is wonderful. Slops, someone's missing slops. Kids' shoes. Water bottles, the lot. Is that also a Bible? Plenty of stuff. Notebooks. Amazing. Clothing. So much stuff in here <laughs> that people don't even know they've lost. Like I say, I come in here every now and again just for, you know, sort of comedic entertainment or some amusement. But for me, the, um, the concept of, of being lost and found is a is a strange one, you know. Lost and found boxes is quite a strange thing. So, stay with me here. Um, an item gets lost, and it, it's it gets misplaced or lost from its original owner. Okay, then it gets found by somebody else, and gets placed in when there's a facility like this, and, and when the person is a good person, they place it in a a place called lost and found. But now, would you agree with me that that item? Has now, is now technically neither lost, nor is it found. So depending on your perspective, the original owner would still deem that item to be lost, because it hasn't been returned to him. But for all intents and purposes, this stuff is pretty found. You know, it's been found by someone, and, and, and it's in a place where, where we know where it is. So we can come and we can see it. So this concept of lost and found is a, you know, it's a bit of a, a dichotomy as such. Um, so the, the status really of, of the item depends on, on the perspective of, of, who, of who's lost it or who has found it. And the concept, I think, is, a, is applicable not only to sunglasses, Bibles, and, and a left slop, but it's applicable to mankind too. And I think each of us, each of us starts our lives being lost due to the original sin, the fall of man, Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden. We sinned against God and we're removed from Him. We were misplaced from God and became, became lost items. But, but God made a plan for us and He, because our sin ripped us away from Him, he sent His Son, Jesus, to make a way for us, to make a way for us to go back 
to him to once again be found, to return home to our original owners. And that's good news. That's good news for most of us. And most of us sitting here especially have accepted that. We've accepted that we're, we're sinners and we're, and we're lost and we're broken and we're far from home. And we've accepted the free gift of salvation and what Jesus did on the cross. And as a result, we've come back home. We were lost and we, we, we were once lost and we are now found. But there are others who remain lost. There are others who don't accept this free gift. They're born lost and they remain lost. And some of them get found by something else or by someone else. They get found by, by the world. They get found by money and power and lust and greed and pride. They get found by these things and that's the place that they live, completely lost forever, although they may seem found, found in something. They, they get their identity in something else, but they never return back. And the sad truth is that many of those people are going to reach the end of their lives, and they're going to be cold and stiff, lifeless, with a tag on their toe that says lost. They're still going to carry the label of being lost. But there's another group of people. And those are people who are both lost and found, and neither lost nor found. So they're those people who, are, who have found this magical place, this magical box, where you can be comfortable and you can be happy and you can be in community with other lost and found items, but you are so lost and you might look found, but you're not found at all. And of course, the, the people who find themselves in there, they're very quick to point out that they're not lost. No, we're not lost, we're found. Yeah, we are. You can find us right here in this wonderful box. It's happy, we're happy, and it's comfortable. Those people, those people out there, they're lost. We take on all the markers, all the characteristics of somebody who has been found. But in reality, they are no closer to being found than they are to being lost. And because of the mindset of the people in the lost and found box, they make no effort to come back home. And this is the group of people that are, I want to talk to this morning. The lost and found. Now in Luke 15, we we find these people very upset with Jesus. Let's look in, in, in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Here we see the lost and found. They, they're sticking their heads out of their box, and, they, and they're questioning Jesus. How can you eat with these blatant sinners? How can you welcome them, these lost people? Here he refers to them as, as tax collectors and, and sinners, but to bring it home, it's, it's the drunkards, it's the party animals, the drug addicts, the addicts of other natures, the prostitutes, the fornicators, the adulterers. These are the people 
that Jesus was hanging out with. Now, I, um, I work in, in the Quigney, uh, on the corner of Road Street and Tennyson Street. So Road Street is, is wedged parallel between Curry Street and, and Fitzpatrick Road. Now, forget Curry Street. Curry Street no longer is Curry Street. Okay? Road Street is Curry Street. Road Street has become like, it's, it's the sin strip of the Quigney. There's a prostitute on every single corner. Occasionally, I have to go to work at night to finish something up or, or, or do whatever, or alarm's going off, let's check something out. And I mean, if I stop my car, I have to, I'm very quick to get out of that car because someone will come and try and get in before, before the engine's even cold. It's just, it, it's, it's just rough, rough with prostitution. It happens in the middle of the day, uh, you know, right in, in, in broad daylight. And there's, a, there's one particular man, um, he's a, a white guy, an elderly gentleman, drives an SUV, and this guy has a personalized number plate. And I see him weekly in the Quigney, stopping, driving, picking up women. If I don't see the, you know, the sort of the pickup, I know it's happening. You know, he's around, he's driving around, checking where, you know, where, the, where the ladies are. So blatant, disgusting, an obvious sinner. And I look down on him from my ivory tower. How can you, with a personalized plate at all, and all? And I see him in, I actually saw him in town the other day, not in the Quigney, and he, he, he had a wife, uh, he's an elderly guy, probably in his 70s or so. He had his wife in the car with him, and I just disgusted at this blatant, obvious sinner. And Jesus goes on to, to tell three parables in response to this question from, from the Pharisees. Back to back, he hits them with, with these. And he starts with the, with the parable of the lost sheep. And it's not going to be on screen, so um, just listen. He, and he tells the story of, a, of, a, of somebody who has a hundred sheep. If they lose one, will they not go after the ninety? Will they not leave the ninety-nine? Excuse me, in the open country and go after that one. And when, when that person finds the sheep, they will bring them back on their shoulders and celebrate and call everyone around to have a feast because the one sheep who was lost has been found. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Then he goes into the parable of the lost coin. Exactly the same. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one of them. Will she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, call her friends together and they will celebrate and have a feast because she has found her lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then Jesus goes into his third parable. And it's the parable of the lost son, or the, or the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. And it's the most detailed and most famous, I think, of, of, of those three parables. And if you're starting to get sort of a strange um, sense of deja vu, if you were here last week, um, Stephen uh, preached a, an excellent message um, entitled Restless, um, speaking about a disease of our time. Uh, restlessness, which uh, which he which he pointed out in the um, in the prodigal son, it was fantastic. If you if you were here 
Um, you'll know all about it. If, if you weren't, you can head to um, shofarsermons.org forward slash East London and you can listen to it there. Um, it's such a great angle, a fresh angle on, on the prodigal son. So he introduced us to this and uh, very subtly we're actually doing a, a two-part series. I just didn't, we weren't sure if we were going to pull it off, so we didn't market it as a, as a series, but it most definitely is. <laughs> so this morning, though, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on, on the older brother, where Stephen left off. The celebration of the younger brother, we're going to, we're going to move into the older brother. So uh, for those of you here, you're going to have an even bigger sense of deja vu because we're going to watch the same video that we, that we did last, last week. Uh, but Stephen stopped short. We're going to carry on all the way through to the end. We're going to just play it as a way of, of going through this parable. Thanks. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country. There, squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. In 
Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you've killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So there we have him, the obvious sinner, the blatant sinner in the young brother. He, he asks the father for, um, for his inheritance. He demands it from the father. Of course, the inheritance you only earn when, uh, when your father dies. So essentially, he was, he was saying to him in lesser words that, I wish you were dead. And then he goes off and he takes what he's received and he goes and squanders it on fleshly living. Prostitutes and, and parties and, and who knows what else. Yet he comes to his senses at some point and, and he returns home and the father greets him and, and there's a celebration because what was once lost is now found. And at this point... Jesus has now hit the Pharisees with, with three parables, all saying the same thing, slightly different angles. For me, I think he's, you know, he's done it. He's kind of he's hit them with a the forehand on the, you know, the first one, and he's come with the backhand on the second one, and finally with this last one, he, he just gives them one more, one more for good measure. He's driven the point home that that is why I'm here. That is why I'm here. That is why I was sent. I came to seek the lost. In Mark 2, verses, um, verse 17, he says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. That's why I'm hanging out with the sinners, with the party animals, the drug addicts, the fornicators. That's why I have come. But the curtain doesn't close there on the story. That's Act 1. And the curtain opens again on Act 2, after the celebration. And in comes the older brother. The hero of the story. The righteous one. The one who stayed behind. The one who didn't demand his inheritance. The one who didn't go and squander it all. He's the one who has been working faithfully, serving the father at home with him. But when he comes in from the field and nears the house, he hears music and dancing. Verse 26, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf 
because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. That's interesting. That's not the attitude I would have expected from the, from the faithful older brother. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, that's a classic distancing technique. Eh? The parents should know that. Eh? When the baby's already pooped for three times and it's only eight o'clock and they poop again and you're like, Honey, this child of yours has just pooped again. Classic distancing. When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, comes home, you've killed the fattened calf for him. So in just a few sentences, the older brother has completely removed the mask. His true colors have actually come out. Up until this point, all we know from him, of him is that he's been there. He never left. He's been faithful. He's been there. He's been serving alongside his father. He says, all these years I've slaved for you, never disobeying your orders. All this time he's been with the Father, working side by side. But in his head, it's been a slave-master relationship, not a father-son relationship. Yet you never even gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. All this time he's working for reward. He's working for his inheritance. He's working for what he can get out of the deal. And notice who's not invited to, to his party. The father. There's no relationship here. There's no relationship with the older between the older brother and the father. Proximity to the father does not equal intimacy with the father. Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, great piece of parenting right there, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now this parable is, is, is known as um, the parable of the lost son. But I think it would be more apt if it, if it were called the parable of the lost sons. Because while one son is so blatant in his sin, you know, he chooses a life of, of getting lost, of going out, of, of, of physically removing himself from the Father in his presence and going to, to gratify the flesh. The other son chooses to stay and wear the mask of being found. He allows his attitude to rot away at his relationship with the Father. Essentially, he chooses the comfort of the lost and found box where he's neither lost from the Father, he's there with him, we know where to find him, but he's not found. Now, um, my wife and I, we have uh, two daughters, most of you know, they're um, beautiful little things, five years old and three years old. Um, and they, uh, so we, we've essentially come out of a, we're just coming out of a season where we've been very dependent you know, they've been very dependent on us, sorry. But they, they're becoming more independent, so we now have um, the luxury of sitting in church and um, not being in the, in the dungeons of doom at the back there. 
where many go in but few come out. <laughs> um, but now they, you know, they're able to to go to kids' church. And um, as a side note, can we can we honour um, and actually just thank with a, with a round of applause the the tireless workers, the kids' church people who give up their Sunday so that we can sit. Let's give them a hand. From me, I don't know if there's many of you here, but, but, but thank you so much. Claire's there at the back, and, and she actually heads up our, our children's um, ministry. And uh, it's not just a child-minding thing. You know, our, our kids come back, and, they, and they've learned stuff, and all of a sudden we'll hear a song or hear something, and I'll say to my oldest daughter, where did you hear that? Was it at a kid's church? And she'll say yes. And uh, So they, they're doing a wonderful thing. Thank you, Claire. But where was I? So, so we, yeah, we, we've come out of a, coming sort of out of a season, and, and there's freedom, and, and we used to be here in the front rows, and then like slowly you move back, and then you go there. Um, but we're back, and look, my wife's there in the second row, and I would be with her. Um, so it's a wonderful place to be. Uh, I'd encourage you to come forward every now and again. Um, but as I said, we, uh, Stephen and I kind of got together and we, we were chatting this week um, just about a few things and, and he shared a picture with me uh, that very much spoke of, um, of the season that, that we've been in and um, him and Yvette have uh, also got uh, two children and I think they're about a, they're about a year and a half behind us on, on this journey. Um, so you're almost there, Stevie. Hang in there. Um, but uh, it can be tough. It can be tough in the back. But he, he shared... Um, he shared this picture with me, and I'm going to use a little bit of creative license here. I don't, when you, I'm, I'm sure when you hear a story, you start to imagine your, your, your own things, and you set the scene. So, so this is what I saw. So he saw um, someone or, or a couple or a family getting into, into a kayak and starting to, to paddle on a river, just uh, you know, sort of in for an outing, going to enjoy. And um, there's lots of other people on, on the river, and, and you're having fun. Uh, but at some point, obviously, you, you've packed a bit of a, a picnic lunch, so you pull over on the side of the bank, and you, uh, you take a break, you know? Indefinite, but you, you know you're getting back on the river. You're just chilling. You're going to have some, um, some snacks. And the whole time, you, you're still part of it. You know, you're there. You're on, the, you're on the river bank, and you're enjoying, and the people are sort of going past, and you're waving, and it's all fun. Um, but then at some point... You, you realize that you've been here for quite a while. And you look around and you've got a campfire going and uh, you're sitting in comfy camp chairs and you've, you've made camp, you've got a tent there, hammocks in the back on the tree, and you've really made yourself um, a kind of a comfortable place. And the thought of, of getting back on the river and getting back in the boat and starting to paddle actually becomes not so lacquer. You know, it's, it's comfortable here. It's nice and warm in this area that we're in. To go back out is going to take effort, you know. It hurts a bit to, to paddle all day long. It's fine out there, but this is also good. Where I am is, is nice and, it, and it's comfortable. Besides, we're still here. We're here on the riverbank. We're part of what's going on. But over time, you begin to sort of not see the, the people waving and you, and you don't hear them as much and... They're encouraging you, come on and come have a look what's around the next corner. It's beautiful. Yeah, I'm good, yeah. And I could so relate to this picture. Because when my wife and I joined Shofar, we were, you know, we were sort of newly married and very newly married. 
and uh, we had all the time in the world, you know, and we were excited about what was happening and, and the things of God, and we were here every Sunday, and we were, we were serving in, in any ministry that we could get to, and um, coming to weekend seminars, and, and all this sort of thing. We, we, we were available, uh, we had time, and, and we could be here in the front row, and we were, you know, we were learning, and we were growing. But we took a break. We took a natural break. We had, you know, we had kids, and um, it's just something that naturally ties your hands. Uh, please don't receive any con condemnation if you're a young family and you have kids and you and you can't be in the service all the time, or uh, you're starting a business, or you, you you're studying. There are many things um, in the in the natural, and, I, and I, I don't believe for a minute that that God wants to condemn us for not being here in church every Sunday or not being as involved as as we could could possibly be. It's not about uh, the rules. It's about it's about the relationship. So, yeah, we you know we were, we were here and we were involved and we took a break and yeah we kind of set up camp on the on the thing and we had two little kids to to look after. Um, but something happens. You there's a big danger of becoming comfortable in that place. You become comfortable in this in the, in this little bubble and. Um, and you see things that are that are going on, and you're still very much involved in church. Um, we're still there during that time. We were, I mean, our attendance was was still good, unless we had two sick kids or something. Then we would be at home, um, or if we were away or, or something. I mean, just sort of natural natural things. Um, but we were here, but we were we were just a little bit. We had less capacity to be involved in church. So we were in the back, and we would come and just listen to the sermon, and it, it gets a bit like. When you're in there, it's just not as fun. Uh, you can't just be part of it. Um, and eventually, actually, at times, even myself, I just thought, why, you know, why are we here? What, what are we doing? Like, sometimes you can't hear what's good. There's just kids like jumping all over you and screaming on top of your lung, their lungs, um, and you, you actually end up just going outside and sitting on the grass um, because it's much better there. So you don't receive much. Eventually, you just want to go home. I know the parents are just like, I feel you, man. I feel you. <laughs> so we were here. We were ticking boxes. Um, we were still obeying sort of all the rules, all the commands of God, but we weren't getting back out onto the water. Still praying the right prayers, saying the right things, um, you know, lifting our hands at appropriate times during worship. And it was in this season... We were, we as a church, have been pursuing, you know, the things of God and the, and um, just pursuing more of God and more of His Spirit um, and more of the the gifts of the Spirit, and healings, physical healings started to break out in church, and uh, because I was here all the time, I was I was still getting a lot of head knowledge, you know, I was still learning a lot about God um, and about His character, but because I wasn't experiencing any any of it. There was a bit of a disconnect, so I knew, and, and you could ask me like, "Does God heal?" And I'll say, "Yes, of course." And I and I've and I've seen it happen, but I haven't I haven't experienced it. I haven't actually, no one that I've prayed and I've tried, and I you know, no one I'd prayed for had ever had ever got healed by my hands, or, or no one, no one had sort of come to, to 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 God through through my prayers and stuff like that. So there was a bit of a disconnect, um, and it, it it was only actually this year that um, that now we're sort of back in the river, back in back paddling again. That that those things started to happen. But what happens when you have head knowledge, 
but no, no heart knowledge or no experience of it is you start to strive for that thing. You start to work for that thing because you know who God is and you see it happening. You know that he heals, but he's not healing through me, so I must be the problem and something must be wrong within me. So I need to pray more. I need to spend more time with God. I need to sort myself out so that God can, can move through me. And that's nonsense. God has released me from that in such a way in the last few months that I now know that there is nothing that I can do that's going to stop God moving. If He wants to come, if He wants to heal, if He wants to set free, if He wants to deliver, all I need to do is step out and make myself available. Now that can be a dangerous thing to say because it, it, it can get us into a place where well, we don't even need to do anything then. You know? We can go out in the world and, and just be completely lost and if we rock up here to church, God can move through us. So I'm certainly not saying that. But what happens when we actually put ourselves in that place is we want to be with God more. When we realize that it's not about our performance, it's not about our work, it's not about what we can do for God, what we can get from God, then all of a sudden we want to be with Him more. We want to spend time with Him more. We want to be in His presence because something changes in our minds. And I'm hoping that there's some of you are at that place where you, where you, can, when you, can, where you can hear what I'm saying. Because I think a few years ago I, I wouldn't have really heard that message. I wouldn't have understood it. So it's quite difficult to explain unless you're in that place when you can accept that. So, in all this work, something, something is sort of popping up, I think, in the back of your head. That sounds pretty older brotherly, doesn't it? Sounds kind of Pharisaic. I sound like a Pharisee. I sound pretty lost and found in that place. And looking back, I realized that there was actually a test in there somewhere. There's a test for, for the older brother syndrome. And it's actually found right here in the scripture. The older brother was, whole, was able to hold it together. He was able to keep that facade of being found, that mask of being a son, all the while until the younger brother came back. Until he was told that the younger brother had returned. I believe the test is in the testimony. During this period that we've been pursuing more of God over the last few years, something that came out was testimonies. All of a sudden, we just had people sharing all the time. God was moving weekly, daily. So every time that someone... I mean, you, you couldn't walk into Shofar, and you still can't, actually, with, without people coming up to share the goodness of God and what God was doing and the miracles He was doing and the people who were being delivered and set free um, and saved and, and, and coming back to him. There were so many testimonies, and there are still so many testimonies in this time. And confession time, those testimonies didn't always excite me. Sometimes, sometimes they would. You know, sometimes it would be great, and I'd, and I'd really want, I'd hear something, and I'd desire more of that, and I'd want people around me also to be set free and saved and, and people to, to be healed through, through my prayers and through the laying on of my hands. But sometimes I was just indifferent, indifferent to what I was hearing and sometimes even irritated. 
by these things? Why them? Why not me, God? Why, is, why are you not working through me? What am I doing wrong? And this is exactly what happened with the older brother. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He heard that this blatant, obvious sinner had come back after squandering everything. He comes back and the father comes running out to him and embraces him and welcomes him home. And the older brother becomes angry. So my question to you this morning is, how do you feel when you hear testimonies? something you probably have to think a bit about and go back a bit. Are you celebrating? Are you celebrating when, when you hear that God is moving, that God's love is becoming manifest, that, that, that God is being glorified in and around you? Or is there something in you that is kind of older brothery and not so keen, not so excited about what's happening? Because a sure sign that you're slipping into the lost and found box is that you don't get excited about what God gets excited about. And what's that? When one sinner comes back to God. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the band can come up and um, I just want to conclude with this uh, this one question for you guys. There are so many people out there who are hurting and who are utterly, utterly lost. And they realize their sin and they realize their brokenness and they realize they're nowhere and they're lonely and they want to come back. And they're begging just to come back and to be servants. But the Father wants to welcome them in as sons. And sadly, I'm sure there are many of us who, um, who have heard a story of somebody with questions, a seeker, you know, coming to a church or, or, or coming to a Christian and looking for answers, but being turned away because of their disgust for them, their filth. You know, how can, I can't associate with you as a sinner. They get looked down on. There are sons who are returning home in search of the father, but they're being met by the older brother. So I want to ask you, when a prodigal son returns home, who is he going to find? Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.